So this morning, we want to jump into the scriptures. We are, as you may or may not know, in our vision series, which is three consecutive Sundays, talking about why we exist as a local church. And so uh, we have basically three parts to what is our simple six-word vision statement. And I, we've been memorizing it, so we'll see how we're doing. Let's say this together. We are rooted in Jesus. Oh, I only hear myself. That's a problem. The mask. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I can hear you right now as you're explaining that the mask is making it hard for you to talk. So I don't know. Maybe you need to raise your voice. <laughs> but let's try. Let me, let me remind you. Rooted in Jesus together bearing fruit. Let's say it together. We are rooted in Jesus together bearing fruit. Yeah, I heard that. Good job. Thank you. So, Bible's open. Let's go to John 15. And I'm grateful that, uh, as Paul said in one of his letters, the Word of God is living and active and sharp and does surgery, basically, is what he said. And that's what I'm relying on this morning, is that the Word of God, as you hold it in your hands, hold it tightly because it's living and active, and I don't want you to lose your grip And we just want to press into the words of Jesus that he spoke to his disciples on the night before he was betrayed. And we'll be in the first 17 verses of chapter 15 of John. Holy Spirit, we ask you to open our hearts and our ears. Let us understand. Let us remember what we know, but we pray even take us deeper into the knowledge of the truth. Uh, Would you uh, give us passion? Would you show us what's important to you? Would you transport us, if we are far from you, to where you are and to where you want us to be, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we spoke two weeks ago of the reality of being rooted in Jesus. And that's a very personal thing. It has to do with our identity that we want to, above everything else that we know about ourselves and above everything else that we count on, above everything else that we might say we are, we want to be able to say we are in Christ, above everything else. It's the greatest piece of identity that we have as humans, to be in Christ, rooted in Christ, intimately related to Christ, not just committed deeply to Uh, words or to doctrine or to principles, but truly related in our hearts and in our spirits to God who revealed himself in Jesus. We are rooted in Christ. And in that, we are given the things that we sang this morning. We're given freedom from captivity to fear, to sin, to brokenness, to emptiness, to addictions. Uh, He breaks every chain, those chains that we've taken on that have bound us from being the humans that we want to be. Jesus breaks those. So rooted in Jesus means free. Rooted in in Jesus means we're on a journey toward fullness and wholeness and being everything that anyone could ever imagine a human could be. It's a really good story, and sometimes it amazes me how unexcited about it we are, even now in this room. (laughs) We have been given all things in Christ. All the things that matter, all the important things we've been given in Christ. And then God rescues us from our tendency toward isolation and toward dividedness and toward clanism and toward uh, absolute abject independence into connection again. 
and into oneness, not just with God, but oneness with each other. So even though I don't know you well and I don't know your history and maybe we met five minutes ago, if you are in Christ and if I am in Christ, we can be together. We share a history. We share a savior. We share a hope. We share a future. And all of those things are in Christ. Again, it's not that exciting, so you're doing great. <laughs> in Christ, rooted in Jesus together. And thirdly, bearing fruit. This third one can go a couple of directions. I know for uh, many people, we struggle with this idea. Are we talking about working, like works? Is that what this is about? And I want to remind you today that it's not. It's about so much more. And that's why we want to be in John uh, chapter 15 here, because Jesus says some huge things about fruitfulness. I would suggest to you, I was praying through this recently, this morning. I love to simplify things. I do best when I have a great orientation around what's true and what's going on, and I don't feel lost, and I know what's going on. And, and I really believe that in God, in the people of Israel, during the history of Israel, so all that is spoken of in our Old Testament is really kind of centers around one idea, and that single idea was governance. It was human governance, like who is in charge? And it started in the very beginning. God simply was in charge by being creator and by creating humans and by relating to them, and it was going quite well. But then someone decided to ask a hard question, who's in charge and who should be in charge? And really, that's the question that the serpent asked Eve. Is God in charge, and is he as good as he says he is? Should he be in charge, or what's the alternative? Should I be in charge of myself? And so then that becomes the human problem. And God shows the hope when he's in charge. But this, there's this wrestling back and forth. And Israel as a nation had so many humans in charge of them. And they longed for God to be in charge. And that's why when Jesus came, what did he preach? He preached the kingdom, a community where there is a king and someone is in charge. If there's a single word that I think might fit all that is in the New Testament, I think, maybe. And we can debate this, not this morning, but sometime. But I think one of the words we might choose is this word of fruitfulness, productivity, purpose. In Christ, we find identity, but now moving forward out of that identity, we find something to live for. We find a unified something to live for. The great tendency of humanity, for some reason, is to divide every reality into two parts and pick sides. And we've never seen that more clearly than the last 18 months. We can take every single human issue, small or large, divide it into two pieces and take sides. And the enemy is celebrating, going, yes, yes, I'm destroying human unity. I'm taking this apart. Jesus came to bring everything together and to bring about unity and oneness and really a single purpose. So let me base this in the scriptures before I say any more. So take a look there in the scriptures. In verse 1, chapter 15, John, Jesus says, these are his words as they were remembered by the apostle John, I am the vine, the true vine. My father is the gardener. Jesus places his identity and the identity of the father in the work of being fruitful. I am a vine. I am a trunk. What is that? What is that? That is the generator of fruit. That's the base of the grape. 
plant is the trunk or the vine. Jesus says, I am a vine. I am a source and a generator of life. My father is the gardener. What's the gardener? The gardener is the one who takes care of that vine and its branches so that they produce as much fruit as possible. Jesus is sharing with us that the identity of the Godhead is fruitfulness. God is a producer. What is the first, one of the first things he said to mankind after he created them? The two of you go and be fruitful. I heard that through your mask. Awesome. Go and be fruitful. Multiply so that you can make more fruit. It really is the theme. The theme God intended for humanity from day one was fruitfulness. God interrupted for a couple of millennia by this theme of who's in charge. But now that Jesus is in charge, we can get back to where God started. I want you to be fruitful. My father is a producer of fruit, and I am the source of that fruit. And then Jesus jumps immediately into the work that they do. The gardener cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it may be even more fruitful. A single job of the gardener is to make this vine produce as well as it possibly can. One of the great tragedies, I think, sometimes of, of current day uh, horticulture is that we've created fruitless trees. Anybody aware of fruitless plums or fruitless cherries? Why do we take the fruit out? What's the purpose? What's that? Yeah, the fruit is messy for sure, right? And also, if you take the fruit bearing out, all the energy goes to producing flowers and leaves. So they are some of the most spectacular trees in both the spring and the fall because of the flowers that they put out and then the leaves that they put out in the fall. But if your goal is fruitfulness and if you're the creator that created all things for fruit bearing, is this a good thing? I mean, Jesus demonstrated it on his way to Jerusalem once when he walked by a tree that was full of leaves, had no fruit, and he was not happy. <laughs> he was actually quite upset. My father lives for fruitfulness. Everything we've created is for fruitfulness. This tree has no fruit, and it breaks the heart of Jesus. Jesus assures the disciples, because I'm sure this question came up immediately. Wow, if pruning happens and it's super important, where do I stand? And he's like, it's okay. You're already clean. You're already pruned. Walking with me in the process of the last three years has done just what I've said. It's stripped away the things in you that don't bear fruit. And it's bringing forth in you the things that do bear fruit. So you're okay. You're clean. Calm down. He goes on to say, remain in me, and I also will remain in you. In other words, trunk and branch, vine and branch need to be intimately, organically connected and united. No branch can bear fruit by itself. Trisha and I have pruned our trees many times, and underneath the fruit trees, there lie these many branches. And those branches, once they've come down, have never produced any fruit. In fact, they dry out pretty quick, and we gather them up. And we don't burn them, we take them to Grimm's, but... You know, same thing. God prunes away branches that don't bear fruit because he wants them to bear no fruit. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And then he goes back to this identity. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, great news, you will bear much fruit. Here's where I want to rescue us from where we kind of get wrapped around the axle sometime. 
Notice the work of fruit bearing is relationship with Jesus. The work of fruit bearing is not pushing out fruit. You can go sit under a tree and the buds are gone and you're never going to hear That was a tree trying to push out fruit, by the way, in case it sounded like anything else. What it was meant to sound like was a tree working hard to push out fruit. Really, the work of the fruit has already been done. It happened in the seasons before summer when it took in the nutrients and when it became connected with organic life and when it brought up all that was in the soil and it drew out of its own trunk strength and it produced leaves and then it produced flowers. Fruit is the last thing and it's not the work. The work is being the tree before all of that happens. The fruit is simply the flow that flows out of relationship and health. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not, re- <clears throat> if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Again, if you remain in me, And my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Notice that Jesus is saying the point of the word and the point of prayer is fruitfulness. We often stop at thinking that the point of the word and the point of prayer is my own formation alone, and that I am the end of the process. That to be a Christian who's living a full Christian life is simply to be a Christian who's taking in the word and who's praying. Jesus is not saying that. He's saying the full cycle of being in Christ leads to fruitfulness. That is the goal that we're headed for. Verse 8, and this is a key for us this morning. This is to my Father's glory, the glory of God, that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. And again, this is not a proof that doesn't prove itself until the fruit is born. This is a proof of identity that is proven by fruit. In other words, the work of being in Christ is being related to Jesus Christ. If fruit is not being born, we don't ask the question, how do I go bear fruit? We ask the question, how do I get more deeply connected to Christ? How do I get more deeply intimate and aware? And how do I follow Jesus better? Not how do I push out fruit, but how do I remain in the vine? This is the goal. And notice Jesus, in a way what I see him doing is he's saved us and he's invited us out of all other possible agendas. He's invited us out of all other possible purposes. He's invited us out of emptiness and meaningless into the good stuff, into the purpose for which we were created. And right now, Jesus is speaking to us the greatest purpose, the greatest human purpose. And he says it's fruitfulness. And in who Jesus is as king of kings and in who God is as creator of all, this is the most important thing. This is what God cares about. This is what God works hard for. This is what God is excited about. This is what Jesus is inviting us into. Like, hey, it doesn't stop here. 
There's one more step. Yes, you're rooted in me and we're one and you're free and your chains are broken. Yes, you're united with each other and you can have wonderful parties and celebrations and be connected. And let's go and bear fruit because that's that third piece. And I believe, and I want to challenge us to believe that the church struggles today with hope, with enthusiasm, with worship, because it doesn't complete the cycle. It doesn't get to the bearing fruit part. And we're just stuck in this cycle of rooted in Christ together. Rooted in Christ together, but not bearing fruit. But not bearing fruit. And then that we have to ask, how well are we rooted if we're not bearing fruit? Because again, fruit is the sign of rootedness, not of good fruit work. That's what we're looking for. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. Let's go on. Verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Gosh, that's an amazing statement. So the, 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 the Trinity's greatest marvel is its love for itself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I mean, that's remarkable. The greatest experience, the greatest exchange, the greatest reality is love. Love. We are fulfilled in spaces of love. We are fulfilled in relationships of love. The purest, the greatest, and the highest love is that of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You remember Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, friends, if you don't have love, the rest of it is emptiness. And I would say to you that all we can do as humans, and especially all that we can do as the church, if it's not grounded in love, and if it doesn't produce love, it's too much work, and we should just stop doing it. If we aren't getting to this space of love, if there isn't the sense that when we gather, I'm excited to be together today because I'm going to be a, around people whose priority is love. Love is my priority. It's their priority. The source of love, God himself, is among us. This is really good news, but don't get excited about it. That's awesome. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, oh no, law, ah, works, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's command and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Again, Jesus is promising, bless you, the completion of the cycle. I tell you this part about fruit bearing because this is where joy becomes complete. If we are incomplete, it's because we aren't in this space of fruitfulness. If we feel like, man, I'm a Christian, but I'm just not very excited and I don't have a lot of joy, Jesus is saying, hey, it's in the fruit bearing. My command is this. Here it comes, the rule, the work. Love each other. Ah, oof. That's good news. I know you knew it was coming, so it wasn't a surprise, but I'm just trying to point out how amazing that is. Love one another. That's the command. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command, if you love. 
I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. This is such a tremendous statement where Jesus is summarizing and concluding everything that he did and said for three years. And in my words, essentially it's this. God is saying, now that I've set you free from every other thing that could occupy your heart and mind, I want to invite you into partnership in my business. And my business as creator God is human fruitfulness, human flourishing, human joy, human multiplication. This is the work of the Father. And it's no longer a work of hierarchy where Jesus is commanding, and as servants we are simply obeying, and we don't know why, and we don't know what matters. But Jesus has explained all the details to us. He's invited us into the purpose of it and the process of it and how it works out. You've been invited by Creator God through His Son, Jesus, to participate in the greatest living endeavor on the planet. Love, joy, thank you, Vaughn, life, right? I don't, I'm not asking you to applaud me, but I'm, I'm hoping it would say that the truth is landing or that you're remembering, or that you believe it, or that somehow this is kind of important. And I know some of you are pretty tired this morning. I, I grant you tiredness. <laughs> I understand. But what am I doing? I, I, I'm not saying anything new, but I'm saying something that we need to grasp better because our lack of fullness of grasping it is leaving us highly preoccupied with a lot of other causes and a lot of other purposes and a lot of other conversations that are stripping us of what the world needs right now more than anything else. What our world needs right now is humans who understand the Creator God and what matters and that they're living into what matters. Can I share with you something that I've observed lately that I think is really important? This is just on a practical level of obedience, is I believe that right now much of the church is not reaching far enough on one hand and reaching too far on the other hand. And we are in these spaces where we're not being fruitful because our reach needs to be both longer and shorter. Our reach needs to be longer in this way, even though practically, because of the pandemic, we are limited in our reach and we seem to spend most of our time you know, in the home with the few people that we are roommates with or family with, that has limited our reach. But we can't let the limitations of our bodies limitate the reach of our hearts and the reach of our voices. And we have many wonderful technological ways to know what's going on next door and down the street and around the corner. And we shouldn't allow this limitation of our reach in one medium to limit our reach in another. Now is not a time to not be aware of needs around the corner and across the street and across the city. Don't let your reach be limited because of the pandemic. And on the other hand, because of the media that we live in today, our reach is too far. Do you know that at every year in human history, horrifying things have happened in certain places around the world while wonderful things happen in other places? This isn't news, it's not new. It hasn't just been in the last 10 years or the last 100 years. But on planet Earth, in every moment of human history, horror and suffering and oppression is happening. And joy and goodness and life and celebration is happening and everything in between. 
It's always been that way. And we are too aware of what's happening in so many places we cannot touch. But here's what I think is happening, friends, is that because we're aware of it and because we talk about it, it's preoccupying hearts and hope and energy close by. We kind of don't have energy sometimes to love each other well because we burned it all struggling for what's out there that we can't touch other than prayer. And I would never undermine the power of prayer over suffering and oppression anywhere in the world. But long extended discussions and blaming and naming what's going on and talking about details out there, friends, it's taking us away. We're trying to reach long and there's no effect to have over there other than pray. Even across a couple of states into a shooting in another state, there's nothing you can do beyond the power of prayer. Why should it occupy conversations and thoughts and hearts and feelings? We are too small and our capacities are too limited to be carrying the weight of the breath that we tend to carry today. And Jesus is inviting us to stop. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. You've got the weight of too much on you, and I will give you rest. Take my burden. What is Jesus' burden? Jesus' burden was always for the person in the room. It was always for the person within the sound of his voice. It was always for the person he could walk to and talk to and touch. His burden is for the one that is in close reach. Now, eventually he got around and then he created this army and now he sent us around the globe. So Jesus' reach is truly universal. But as an individual human, you have a short reach. And you need to save your energy, save your heart, and save your mind for the things that you can reach. But you also need to reach. We also need to not isolate and just pull within and say, well, for a few months, I've just got to keep my hands in here. No, 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 no. What about the neighbor? What's going on? What's going on? We're going to hear a little bit of Brad's story today. And Brad's story is one of those stories where one of us, Daniel in this case, had healthy reach going on. It was a reach a little bit outside himself. It was outside of this community. It was outside of his friends. It was outside of the church. It was a man on a street that he drives up and down. But his reach was just right. He reached out to someone he could touch by listening to the Spirit of God and reaching just that far. And out of that, he got to be in a conversation of inviting Brad back into fullness with Jesus Christ. And we're going to celebrate that today in baptism. Jesus has called us to an incredible work of bearing fruit. Let's finish with this. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you that you may go and bear fruit. That's the extent of our calling. That's the extent of the meaning of life in Christ. Bear fruit, fruit that will last so that whatever you ask in my name, my Father will give you. This is my command, love one another. I know we know these things, but in the power of Jesus, we have the ability to live these things, to be preoccupied with these things, to make these things the things I just can't stop thinking about and reaching for and working for. 
And I pray that we together, as we are rooted in Jesus together, might spur each other on to love the obedience to the command and the good works of bearing fruit within our reach, beyond ourselves, but not beyond our reach.